it's a very good idea to start uh, economics. It puts food on the table. So I think whatever your business area is, it doesn't need to be finance. It can be anything else. But take into account all of this sustainability, climate, environment, whichever aspect it is, because when you are knowledgeable in those topics, it puts food on the table invariably. Sustainability in Finance. Sustainability in Finance. A podcast hosted by the International Sustainable Finance Center in Prague. Join us and explore different perspectives of finance and its importance for the Central and Eastern European region. Hello everyone and welcome to our newest episode of Sustainability in Finance podcast. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming none other than Ayla Kravi, the Chief Sustainable Finance Advisor at the European Investment Bank. Ayla is also a member of the Platform on Sustainable Finance, which is an advisory body created by the Commission to support the development of sustainable finance policies. And last but not least, Ayla is a returning speaker at this year's CE Sustainable Finance Summit. So Ayla, thank you so much for being here and joining our podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me for, for this uh, podcast and uh, hello to everybody who is listening. And by the way, very much looking forward to returning to Prague in a couple of weeks time. And we are very much looking forward to seeing you again. So, and similar to some of our previous guests in this podcast, you also started your career in a more traditional side of finance, which was at the Union Bank of Finland and Societe Generale. And then you went on joining the financing arm of the EU, so the European Investment Bank, where for more than two decades you headed the Capital Markets Department as its director. And then you became the Chief Sustainable Finance Advisor at the European Investment Bank last year in 2022. So maybe to start with, I would be quite interested If you could maybe share more about this journey in finance and financial industry and how you moved from capital markets to sustainable finance department, but maybe even more so to mention some of the main or some of the key milestones in ESG and sustainable finance topics from your perspective and maybe what did what, what made you move to, to sustainable finance? Indeed. I think actually over the years, it is more that I did not move from capital markets into sustainable finance. It was that sustainable finance moved into capital markets and, and uh, I was taking uh, off by that, by that wave. So indeed, I, I started at EIB in 95 in the capital markets department where I stayed until uh, last year, February. And first it was uh, for the first um, 10, uh, 15 years, it was basically financing normal funding for the EIB. But then since 2007, we started to see the first signs of life of sustainable finance in the form of green bonds, which we did, which we have a different name for at EIB, Climate Awareness Bonds. And this started gradually. It took several years. It started uh, gathering volumes. I would say it took six, seven years. It became much more institutional. We started to see banks and investors and borrowers organizing themselves to establish best practices on a voluntary basis. Then some years later, again, we've got the legislators and regulators interested in the topic, which is now culminating in the work of the European regulation and the work that the Platform for Sustainable Finance is doing, where um, you are also uh, members now. So it was more like sustainable finance gradually crept into the capital markets, and then it was first a niche market, and then it has become a mainstream market where we are where we are now so i would say that it started with this uh, multilateral banks activity first in 2007 8 9 10 still then we and it was fairly focused on retail investors not not really on institutional yet because they 
required more liquidity, more size. Then uh, around 2014, they started to grow into more institutional sites. We started to see different kind of borrowers. It was not only multilateral banks turf anymore. And uh, uh, 2014, when uh, at EIB, we had obviously been quite visible in issuing these green bonds. We were contacted by uh, some banks who were setting up this, what we know now as green bond principles, voluntary joining forces by borrowers, uh, investors, and uh, underwriting banks, investment banks, to put together some sort of recommendations for best practices, because, of course, this was a totally voluntary platform. None of us was a regulator. None of us was also a um, an environmental scientist, so this was more about the process. But that gathered pace very quickly, sort of globally. And uh, 2017-18 is when the European Union as a, uh, or the Commission as a regulator, legislator, started to get interested in this area. And I think it was good that they waited for a few years for the market to establish some kind of uh, voluntary norms. And uh, that work uh, started then basically in 2018-19 in the form of uh, the technical expert group. Then we got the first platform and then now we have the second platform. Each of these groups has had a slightly different role to play and a different task to accomplish. So this is the, the development in Europe. And now I would say in the last year or two, the need and the wish to see definitions on green finance, sustainable finance has caught fire sort of globally. We have seen um, countries like Colombia and um, uh, South Africa. We now see Mexico. We have seen Canada, Japan, Australia. They have all now joined us. We need to develop our uh, own definitions. Some of them are more focused on the green. Some of them look at new sectors like Colombia, Australia, and I believe also Canada. They are quite focused on transition because they are commodity economies to a large extent. So this is very important for them. And we also have seen now since a couple of years, since 2019, I believe it was an intergovernmental platform where governments are talking to each other, trying to coordinate the efforts, not so much that they want to make everything uniform and standardized, but they want to talk to each other so that there would be comparability. So this has really become from a long way, long journey from starting as a niche retail market with a handful of players. This is now a major mainstreamed um, activity where if you are in finance, if you are in capital markets in, in, in particular, you'd better know this market as well because it's not a sort of this is ESG and this is the mainstream finance. That separation doesn't exist anymore. You have to know both if you want to sort of swim in this pool. That's exactly how I sometimes explain it as well, that this is not really like a separate type of finance. It's <laughs> definitely merged. I, I remember that from my previous job as well. So I was working for BlackRock back in 2015, 2014, and I remember that you know ESG and sustainability becoming more and more or bigger part of the discussion and even... Well, even practice, really. And what exactly, to your point, I also remember how it accelerated, how basically it went from zero to 100 or how it was developing. And I feel like that acceleration got even faster in like last two, three years. Yes. This is something we, maybe maybe even more so in this region where we are sitting now, uh, where it's definitely accelerating. But maybe I would actually take one step back here because, um, and I completely agree with you, as you mentioned, that it caught on fire, essentially. And... Maybe when you mentioned, you know, the global uptake or focus on these topics and mainstreaming of sustainability in finance, could we maybe take one step back? And I'm thinking just out loud, you know, 
we have quite a variety or wide range of people listening to this podcast. And I, I think people can imagine what commercial banks do. But could you maybe just briefly explain what exactly is the role of EIB in, in the transition to more sustainable economy? Oh, yes, that's, uh, that's more than two words, I suppose. <laughs> First of all, well, I don't know which order to take, but let's start with the regulatory part. We have been very deeply, deeply involved in all this EU work on, for example, on the definitions of green finance, green transition and so on. Transition, it's a, uh, you can talk about very different things as transition. And this is a very important point. So, and I'll explain what we mean by transition. So you can invest in transition so that something which is what we call colloquially brown or significantly harmful activity becomes actually green. So that can be one transition. You go from one extremity to the other. Significantly harmful becomes significantly positive, basically. That's quite a long transition, however, and not everybody is able to do this. And of course, the big question is, what are we going to do with the heavy emitting sectors which cannot become green? What do we need to do with them? Some of them we probably would need to sort of close down, like coal sector needs to be closed down gradually sooner rather than later, if possible. And then you have some others which we will still need. I mean, we will still need concrete, we will need uh, aluminium, we will need uh, steel and all of this, uh, even for uh, building and, and, and so on. This is not going to go away. So this kind of industries and transport, we need to make them just better. And uh, by mean, making them better, what I mean is that they come out of the significantly harmful part and they come to the sort of area where they are not yet making a, a significant contribution, but they are something that we can live with. And you can call this intermediate uh, transition or uh, amber transition, whatever. I think Singapore is now working on this, and I think they have said that they, they are labeling it intermediate transition. What exactly are the definitions? I don't know, but I think this is the one part that is missing in the current discussion. So what EIB thinks about that is that you should not do any significant harm, at least. The, the threshold is that, meaning that, for example, or let me take concrete examples. If you are an oil company and you say that you are reducing your scope one emissions because you will be powering your oil drilling by solar panels, this is not transition. This is just making the brown a little bit lighter brown, but that's not enough. It needs to go further than that. But if you are, let's say, a cement or aluminium company and you are improving your emissions so that you come to a space where you don't do significant harm to climate or other environmental uh, aspects, that's fine. We can live with that. And um, for EIB, what we have, for example, promised is that now we will do, we will sort of split our lending in two halves. First halves need to be something which moves the needle, which makes a significant contribution, a positive one to climate or any other environmental aspect, to water, uh, to pollution prevention or biodiversity or, uh, or circular economy. So first half is that you make a big move, a positive move. The other half should be something which at least does not do significant harm to any of these aspects. And uh, none of it can be such that it makes a significant harm because in the, we, we have plenty of uh, sectors in economy which need to be coming to this intermediate part. We have plenty of sectors which are neutral. Uh, let's say culture, he education, healthcare. These are usually not making such a big impact on environment or climate that they can improve a lot, but they need to stay in this neutral zone. So that's what we have promised that it's 50 and 50. 
nothing should do significant harm, half should do significant positive contribution, and half should remain relatively neutral or only small impact on the environment. So that's our engagements. And, and so far, that has been working quite well. It means, obviously, that some sectors we don't do. We don't, for example, finance new airport capacity. We can do uh, airport security in existing airports, for example. Uh, it could mean, if I want to take some concrete examples, that heavy emitting industries we don't finance anymore unless it is making them better. It could be, for example, making their installations more energy efficient and so on and so forth. So it's always a case by case. It's very difficult to say what we don't do and what we will do. It needs to be a case by case uh, analysis. For example, motorways. Well, we still need a road transport. And um, if we get more electrification in the road transport cars and trucks and everything, then road itself is not going to be a big emission source anymore because it depends on who is driving on it, right? So we would need to look at the road projects from that point of view. What is the car fleet that is driving on that road and whether it is a big source of emissions or whether it's not. Thank you very much for the example as well. More practical description. One thing that comes to mind, by the way, when I'm listening to you, and this is something I, I imagine maybe even some listeners would ask, is that it all sounds really complex, right? Like suddenly we are... So going from finance, we are in you know, profitability, liquidity, and so on. We are going to fairly science-based topics. And so that's not only, I, mean, I think this is obviously in whether that is, that is the EU taxonomy and DNSH criteria and many other science-based new regulations. But also I think when it comes to CSRD, SFDR, we suddenly are going to all these different criteria, different indicators, which are getting really complex. And I think that's, I mean, that's a fair statement because they are, and maybe... I would be interested to hear from your perspective because I know you you do meet a lot of not only EIB clients and partners and different stakeholders across the EU, maybe even beyond. What do you think is the current status now? How are companies and financial institutions prepared for all these changes? And maybe, you know, what do you see as some of the main main challenges they have? That's an excellent question. I think the principles in themselves, they are pretty simple. It's the implementation which becomes complex when you still start to drill down to the details. So I've been talking to some banks, and obviously this is something that we are talking about at EIB as well. I think one common feature you can say for almost everybody is that nobody has uh, the kind of data that you would need to make sort of put the colors or the labels on existing portfolios and existing loans which were given out two, three years ago, or heaven forbid, 10 years ago. So it is what it is, and those investments have been done and money is gone. You can try to do your best, but okay, I think that's not the main worry here because because uh, that is done and, and gone. But for the new investments and new loans and new projects, that's where we need to be paying much more attention. And I think that we can also start collecting the kind of information from our clients. And that's why I keep repeating that this is a process. It's not something that, oh, hey, here we have a complex new report that we have to do and we have to try to make a perfect report. It's not going to be perfect for anybody. That That is pretty clear to me. So I would really put the, the focus and the efforts on the future so that we really look at the kind of investments that we are financing, EIB or any other bank, that those investments are the kind of investments that we need. And there we need to look at all these aspects. We need to look at whether there is a substantial contribution. Is there significant harm to any other environmental aspect? Are the minimum social safeguards uh, met? 
so new investments need to be aligned with all of this and that is the important thing not 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 so much the old one and i think that's already work enough for us and uh, of course when regulator asks you to report your taxonomy aligned part or your csrd you also need to be playing a bit careful because there may be a legal risk or reputational risk at the very least if you make a mistake somewhere and um I think this should be something which is rather encouraging banks and the financial sector to act in the right way rather than scaring them with legal risks because everybody is is very wary of of those uh which is why I heard a new term instead of greenwashing people are now worried about green hashing uh i.e. you understate and minimize what you say that is green in your balance sheet or in your operations so that at least you are on the safe side. <laughs> I think that's actually worse than 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 greenwashing. Greenwashing we can see but green uh, green hushing we can't see. So we really need to I think it would be important to get the message even from the regulators and 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 the supervisors that what we are interested in is that you do the new investments and financing correctly and as they should be the old ones they are what they are. Of course it's not quite this easy. Everybody wants to do good reporting, everybody wants to look good. and there are plenty of talks going on between banks i think there are all the consulting firms are uh, clocking uh, quite a lot of hours <laughs> with this work so at least it's creating some employment and uh, it's a bit the same i think maybe even more important going forward but 15 years ago when we had the financial crisis and all of a sudden banks needed to do a huge amount of new reporting on many things and everybody was complaining because they didn't have the data they didn't have the templates they didn't have the systems etc they didn't have the staff but nobody's talking about it anymore it's done and it's automatized and it's all um, part of the banking picture and i think this will be the same but we will need to take a few baby steps at the beginning and try to get it right and this is just my personal opinion but i really think that the focus is going forward rather than trying to muddle through with some imperfect information on what you have already done five years ago that's a different thing let's try to do our best to describe what's there but let's really focus on getting the things right for everything new yeah but so i completely agree and but to be honest even csrd and the new standards are actually more forward looking really compared to some other previous standards where you already have you have to report and disclose information about the strategy and how we want to be or where you want to be in five years how we want to get there and then compare it with previous years so i think even the regulation is in more in line with a process right exactly as you said because it is a process and what i often say when we have these discussions as well and then you have maybe more i wouldn't say skeptical people but maybe people who see it as a challenge maybe more than a, than opportunity not only that it is a process but also we are still in the beginning if you think about it because i mean realistically the regulation i mean i know the discussion started 5 4 5 years ago maybe longer but it started coming out in the last few years and it takes longer than 2 or 3 years to integrate or implement something complicated and complex like this so i think definitely on the same page and yeah i mean it is creating more employment that's a that's a good point let's see if any any companies might actually report on that as s in esg <laughs> positive <laughs> positive impact of more regulation good and then maybe last quick question i just wanted to touch because the green bonds are becoming much bigger topic here in the region i feel and we actually get a lot of questions about the green bonds and the not really the purpose but maybe the potential of green bonds and i know you which you already mentioned that you were on the committee of the green bond principles back in 2015 to 18 and also that i mean you have a lot of experience in that topic so i maybe wanted to just get your view 
as we discuss the transition. So what do you think is the potential or the role of green bonds in the transition to a more sustainable economy? I think green bonds, uh, sometimes people expect, uh, I think, a bit, little bit the wrong things from, from the green bonds. Green bonds usually don't make investments happen. They are a tool for communication, for transparency, and also, of course, gaining uh, hopefully new investors. So I think some, some people think that they are not creating any additional value if they don't finance investments that would not have been done otherwise. I think that's very much wrong because uh, most investments which are bankable, they find the money anyway. So you don't need, it's not a question of uh, the, the instrument. But if you want to do a green bond, nowadays, for example, the requirements are already a bit higher for the issue than they used to be five, six, seven years ago. And this is part of the mainstreaming. Now, several years ago, if you, you did not need to talk about your entire business, you could just 95% of your capex could be brown and then you could do one, this 5% in green. And that was fine. People were still fine with that. Nowadays, you need to do more. You need to show that you don't need to be green for your whole business, but you need to have a credible transition plan. And then you do these green investments. So people will ask, what about the rest of your business? How are you going to transition that? And this is where green bonds or sustainable bonds uh, become a very important communication tool. If I do a green bond today, I'd better have my story in place. I tell investors that this is what I intend to do in the next five years, next 10 years, etc. This is how I turn all my business over. And that is the kind of, yes, you can do that, of course, without doing a green bond, but this is how you get investors really focused on your story and you get the message through in a much better way. And when you have done a bond, it lives there for several years. It's not just today, it's still there and um, you can use it many times over. It's also a good way which people think less of in public, but for a bank, for example, like EID, uh, before we started doing these green bonds, we never really talked to our asset side. We had no need to. Now we talk to them all the time. What are they going to do? What are the definitions? What are they, how can we improve, etc.? Governments, almost invariably, even the ones who are not so enthusiastic at the beginning, they say that, well, finance ministry is now getting much more information from all the other ministries because all the ministries want to pile up their investment pipeline into the green bonds because it sounds good and looks nice and ministers are interested and politicians are interested. So the internal communication in the borrower organization, whether it's private sector, public sector, invariably becomes much better. And your organization focuses on the green transition in a different way. It's very difficult to put you know, a numbers to it that this is what happens and uh, this is how it increases. But everybody who has done or gone through this process talks about the same thing. So in that sense, it's a, it's a powerful tool for communication, both internally and externally, focusing your investors, focusing also your own organization. So this is what green bonds do. And there, there is a lot of additionality there. That is a very interesting take, actually. I haven't thought about it like that. It definitely does send a signal from the, you know, when you, when you issue a green bond. So I think that's, as you said, it's communication as well. It's an incentive to have some kind of strategy and to actually show that you are you mean it. No, this is actually really good take. And uh, thank you very much. And then maybe just to close, and as you as you know, because I told you, but also <laughs> as we always do with our guests on the podcast, we also try to sneak in one more personal question or to get some kind of advice here. And from you, not only because of your wealth of experience across different countries and you know, actually working with different stakeholders, but I would be genuinely interested maybe what is the the career advice you would we would give to someone maybe some graduate or someone who is starting their career now and they are considering working with sustainability or sustainable finance? 
Well, I could uh, sort of misquote one, one old professor of mine, because when I studied economics in the 80s, he always used to say, and I had to translate this one Swedish, he was saying that it's a very good idea to start uh, economics, it puts food on the table. So I think uh, whatever your business area is, it doesn't need to be finance, it can be anything else. But take into account all of this sustainability, climate, environment, whichever aspect it is, because when you are knowledgeable in those topics, it puts food on the table, invariably. Definitely does. I mean, even more so with sustainability being a very trend, uh, trendy topic now and actually being being and touching pretty much every single sector, really. So yeah, <laughs> I completely agree. So that's great. Well, thank you so much, Ayla, for being here and for joining us today. And also on behalf of ISFC and myself, we very much look forward to welcoming you in Prague again for this year's CE Sustainable Finance Summit, which is taking place on May 15th to May 19th. And where Ayla is, as I said, one of the many inspirational speakers. So thank you so much, Ayla. Thank you. Thank you very much for this uh, for this chat. Very nice of you. Yeah. And also thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, so stay tuned for the upcoming episodes and have a, have a good day. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Sustainability in Finance. Check out our website at isfc.org and make sure to follow us on social media for more content. We hope you join us for the next episode.